On today's edition of Grape Encounters Radio, we will take you where no wine show has ever dared to go before. Here's a little taste of what's to come. So what you do is, is just pour out a little bit of wine out of the bottle until the wine is about halfway down the shoulder. Put the cap back on, turn the bottle upside down. I tell them, make sure you do it in that order. Cap back on, turn it upside down. Yeah, that makes right, sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then give the wine a good shake. And then put it back up the other way, take the cap off, release the nitrogen, then put the cap back on, give it another shake, and then pour. As soon as that foam layer settles down to a creamy cafe latte type character, yeah, exactly. the Molly Duke is ready to drink. And now from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. It's time to enjoy an hour of the really good stuff on Grape Encounters Radio. Heck, we may even uncork a bottle or two of wine while we're at it. Here's David Wilson. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. All right, and it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And, you know, I have had in the last eight years the privilege to talk to so many of the wine greats that come from California and the rest of the U.S. But it is a rarity that I get to sit down with people that I think are absolutely legendary. I should scratch that, that you think are legendary from other parts of the world, especially as far away as Australia. But there is a brand in Australia that if you're a true wine lover, if you love delicious, unctuous wines, then you absolutely know the name Molly Duker. It is really at the top of my list of great wines from around the world. How fortunate for me today to be able to sit down with the founders, I should say founder and son. I'm not sure how to describe this of Molly Duker. I have with me today... Sparky Marquis, he, along with his wife, Sarah, founded the brand. And if you are familiar with the wine Blue-Eyed Boy, and you should certainly be familiar with it, then you will recognize or remember the picture of a young fellow on the label. His name is Luke, and he's with me as well. The real Blue-Eyed Boy, but that goes back a ways, huh, Luke? Yeah, almost about 10 years now. So 10 years now. And uh, did you have any say on whether or not you were going to be on the label of that wine bottle? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so true. You guys, I'm so excited to be here with you. You know, I'm tingling because your wines are just so incredibly delicious. They are everything that a wine should be, in my opinion. I seldom use the word perfect. But for my palate, and thank goodness for the palates of people who share my taste in wine, they just can't be beat and so much fun. It's been so much fun for us to, to be part of this journey. Um, really, there's a whole, whole heap of miracles, like in, in the wines for Molly Duca that we've been making, just to be able to get it. What we love so much about Molly Duca is actually being able to share it with people. That's, yeah. that's our, that's the greatest passion. So the funny thing is you're here in California. And you came all the way from Australia because I guess somebody had the opportunity to have a dinner with your wines and you're here to show up and and make good on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody does that, right? (laughs) No, no, it was really funny. Archie McLaren asked us back in August if we'd come over for the um, Central Coast Wine Classic. And uh, we came over not really knowing what to expect and what to do. And there was a whole heap of stuff going on in the background. We bought a heap of wine, which we always do. And that then became a charity auction for Central Coast. And uh, from that came a dinner. 
And Jim uh, Clendenin from ABC yeah. jumped up and said, I'm happy you could hold the dinner at my place. We never ever thought how it was going to come together or what it was, but here we are, turned up six weeks later on, back to do the dinner here in the, in the Central Coast. So how do you like the Central Coast? Because I think there's some real parity between your style of winemaking and the way that we make wines here. Absolutely. I mean, certainly your wines are very tuned into the American palate, and I'm sure the Australian palate as well, right? Yep, yep. Big okay. time. So let's talk about the brand itself. You and your wife definitely had your ups and downs. It's to, to get to the point that you're at today. Let's start with the name Molly Duker because it's a cute name, but if for Americans, it may not be something that, you know, they understand the meaning behind. That's exactly right. So Molly Duker is Aussie for left-hander. And the reason why we called it that is because both Sarah and I are left-handed. And when we started the company, when we started Molly Duker, half of our staff were left-handers. So what? Really? Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was just like crazy. Like like wow. all, all of our best friends were, and in our in our house, uh, Luke's not a left hander. He's a he's a righty, but we call him an honorary Molly Duca, right? Because we've because <laughs> we've been training him now for twenty years. Are you trying and, to uh, get him to become a left hander? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's They've funny because if, yeah, yeah. yeah. if, if if you look at his shoes, I mean, most right handers don't realize that there's actually a left handed way of tying your shoes. And Luke, when you look at his shoes, they're actually tied up as a left hander. One day I asked him the question. I said. How, how, why do you tie up your shoes like a left-hander? And it's he's like, he taught me. <laughs> he taught you how to do it. Okay, so I wonder how rare that is to have that many left-handers in a single organization. Totally, totally rare. You know, maybe maybe in an architectural firm or a design company, you might have yeah. a heap of left-handers, but to have in a in a in a natural business sense to have a whole heap of left-handers is is a very rare. Thirteen percent of the world are left-handers, and uh, so for us, it was just a, such an exciting. Phase you know, when we revelation. Yeah. We we started off. We were going to call the brand S and S for Sarah and Sparky. Yeah, right. And for me, because it was when you put S and S together and spell it out, it's Sands, i.e., something to do with the beach. Uh, you know, which is where we live. We live on the beach, so it's like I just wanted to have something to do with the beach. And Sarah was like, "You are not having S and S as a brand. We're no way." <laughs> and so we searched. We searched every name you could possibly think of. And we were sitting down, we, um, we had a competition with our staff and we said, look, we need to get a, a name for our brand. Whoever can come up with a name will give you a case of wine. Now we give away wine to our staff all of the time, all of our team. And, uh, one of our guys, one of our left handers, he came up with a name that was, he said, his suggestion was left hand, right brain. <laughs> because that's the way the orientation works. Yeah. He was a left-hander. He was like, left-hand, right brain. This is it. This will be a great brand. And we're looking at him. We're going like, Sarah was like, she just grabbed the piece of paper that he had it written down on, scrunched it up on a ball and <laughs> chucked it in the bin. She's like, don't be ridiculous. We're not going to call it left-hand, right brain. And we were sitting there and as we threw the piece of paper in the bin, Sarah was like, the concept of left-hand, right brain is a good idea. Can anybody else come up with a name for – can anybody think of another name for a left-hander? Because everybody at the table was. And my dad said, yeah, what about Molly Duca? As soon as he said it, oh we knew God. without a doubt that that was going to be the name for our brand. It just stuck. It just, it just came. Wow. It just came. Now- like we, were, we, were, we went straight to the computers. We were on keyboards. We are trying to – Get trademarks. We're trying to like nothing. No one had trademarked Molly Duca anywhere. Doesn't that seem strange? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you must have some theories on how this large number of left handers impacts 
the winemaking business. Does it translate in some way that you think? I, I think it absolutely does. You know, I think, um, you know, the orientation for left hand is that they have an artistic creativity spot. And it's really interesting. I'm, I'm a left hander, but I am, I probably would say I'm scientific. But before I was a winemaker, I graduated as a photographer. So I was a professional photographer before I became a winemaker. So you start to carry all of those things forward. So for us, it's actually being able to see things clearly. But when we're really focusing on our blending, when we're doing our barrel trials, all of that we do by gut feel, by a, an artistic expression rather than just a, rather than just trying to get scientific about it, about creating numbers. What we're trying to create is passion. Now, speaking of passion, Luke, you're into racing. Yes. Yep. So automobiles we- though. Yeah, so we are as a whole family, uh, which is crazy. Um, uh, dad races, I race, my sister races, um, and mum races motorbikes. <laughs> something. Yeah, so um, we started back in 2007, uh, and yesterday actually was uh, the, the anniversary, the anniversary of, of my lap record, lap record um, nine years ago. No kidding. Now, tell me how racing helps in the winemaking process, because I think there's, it's very interesting, and you certainly know this, that as a photographer, yep. and I take it you still shoot, right? Yep. The connection between the arts, photography, music, you know, graphic design, whatever, is unmistakable between that and wine. Yes. You know, absolutely. and we see so many people come from those creative professions, but what about the car racing? Is there something that you bring from that? into winemaking or does, I think, I does winemaking the, affect the racing? Both directions, I think. One, one I think, is a clarity of vision. You know, when, you, when you're in car racing, you, you have minimal tolerances for any error. And, oh, and, yes. And that's actually I how – I see that. That's how we build our wine. You know, we say in our wines – our mission statement for Molly Duca is we make wines that make people go, wow, through attention to detail and commitment to excellence – yeah, and and for us, it's those minute. All the time, we're looking for how can we become one percent better than we already are. The minutia matters. Absolutely, it does. 100%. Yeah, it absolutely. Does. Hey, it's so exciting to have these folks from Molly Duker here in the states. They're on tour for a little bit, but it is Sparky Marquis and Luke Marquis, and we're going to spend a, a lot more time with them and uh, talk about the brand, the wines, and some of the crazy things that you guys do in the wine business that I think is just so compatible with the Grape Encounters brand. We'll do that in just a second as we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Listening to America's number one wine radio show, Grape Encounters with David Wilson. You are precious, you are fine, sweet as South Australian wine. You're beautiful, won't you be mine? I love you, Molly Duker. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and Sparky and Luke Marquis are here with me. They are from Molly Duker. 
this is a legendary wine brand and you know hasn't been around that long usually it takes a lot longer to be a, a legend right we've Sparky. actually only been around for 10 years we started yeah. Molly Duca in 2005 before Molly Duca we obviously made Marquis Phillips uh, which obviously you guys here in America call uh, Mark E. Phillips I always Marquis yeah, yeah I, I always laugh about it because whenever I'm here and I'm sharing about the wines that we used to make you know Marquis Phillips we made uh, Henry's Drive we made Fox Creek you know in the days when things started here with Australian wines in, in, in America and uh, one of the things we used to laugh about with Marquis Phillips or in your language Mark E. Phillips is I used to joke about it from myself because that always makes me called Sparky Marky right <laughs> yeah, yeah. because everybody's like what how is your last name said and I said I always say it doesn't really matter how you say it as long as you're enjoying back in the old days I'd used to say as long as you're enjoying a, a, a Marquis Phillips or a Mark E. Phillips but now I say you know I don't really mind how you say my last name as long as we're having a Molly Duca. Excellent. So let's talk about the road that has led you to this place, because there was a time when you were going in a completely different direction, right? Uh, you were going big, but now you're going big, but for different reasons, big on what we were talking about in the last segment, that minutiae, creating the perfect wine. Hard yep. to do that, is it not, when you're trying to make a lot of wine? That's right. It's, uh, so, so for us, um, the wine in the bottle at two quality levels above the price on the outside. So no matter what price people pay for the wine, they've got a real wow experience. So for us, what we were looking for, and I think the simplicity of what we do is actually really defined by a lot of things. There's a couple of key things that we have. One is our vineyard watering program, which is absolutely foundational. But one of the things that are absolute key, we ask these very simple questions. For me, one of the things I love, there's three main things I love in vineyards. There's four, four things I love in life. And my passions in life are vineyards, barrel trials. And I do a lot of barrel trials. I do. I start tasting most days at 4.30 every morning. And I taste 40 wines a day. Wow. Um, you know, just to really know the wines and live the Everybody wines. Everybody out there is going, I want to be him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I love my job. <laughs> and finance and, and go-kart racing as well is one of the other ones. But um, when we're doing our barrel trials and when we're doing our blending, we ask three very simple questions. And everybody will understand this because it makes so much sense. We say the first question is, would I, any with any one parcel of wine, whatever, any one section of harvest, would, any one area, we say, would I drink a glass of this? If the answer is no, we sell that wine as bulk wine. If the answer is and, yes... And we're talking about a component that's going into the blend. Yep. So we've got 81 different vineyard subsections in our block. We, we divide our vineyards up into each watering zone is a, is a different block that we harvest and manage in the winery as a complete separate block. So when we taste through the 81, the questions we ask is, would I drink a glass of this? But I have a question about that, okay? Yep. Because I think that one of the dirty little secrets of the wine business, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but when you especially when we're talking about estate wines, you are oftentimes blending imperfections out of a wine. You know, you're compensating for a shortcoming by adding something else that's going to bring the level up. And that's troubling when you think about it. Absolutely it is. any way you cut it, garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely it and, is. And, and to a degree, you can do that. And unfortunately, winemakers, especially those who are growing their own grapes, are oftentimes stuck with that reality that they're going to have to do that. 
Now, how do you manage your way around that? Because now you're getting sourcing grapes from all over the place. No, we've got 116 acres that we own ourselves. Right. And we manage another 150 acres. Okay. And I meant to say that, but you're actually managing. Yeah, that's right. We, those, manage, those, we manage those vineyards. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So it's about a little less than 50-50. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, and what you're saying there is a, a fantastic question because, for example, and you'll, you'll realize this as we go through the next couple of months as the new Molly Duke has come out into the shop, is from the 2015 vintage, we didn't make the 2015 Velvet Glove, we didn't make 2015 Carnival of Love, and we didn't make the 2015 Enchanted Path. And I had wanted to attend the Carnival of Love this last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so just skip it, right? Yeah, we, so we didn't make them because we didn't have wines that had what we believed was the required fruit weight, the sheer beautifulness of those wines. And so the top wine that we made this year was the Giggle Pot, the Cabernet, which is named after my daughter Holly, and the Blue-Eyed Boy, which is named after my son Luke. So those two wines, uh, when you see them, I, when you, the 2015 Giggle Pot and Blue-Eyed Boy, so the material that would otherwise have been gone into Velvet Glove and Carnival, we made Blue-Eyed Boy with. Because in 2015, we had a hotter vintage in Australia. And so we didn't have the time, the hang time on the vines to allow the fruit to develop that intensity of fruit weight, which we would say is, gives, us, gives our wines that velvet club, that silky sensation with all of our wines. We and, call it and fruit I wanna, weight. I want to talk about that after our break. Mm -hmm. But I think you make such an important point, And the decision that you make in your business is so important because you only have to put out one bad wine. One bad wine. That's and it. And the damage lasts for years and years and years. Yep. People will defect, right? Yep. That's exactly right. And it, and it doesn't just take down that one label. Yep. It takes down the whole brand, Everything it? around it. Everything around it. You, yeah. cannot, you cannot afford to have a miss. You, you're better off to not have the wine than to make a wine that you think that your customers won't recognize the difference because they do. The customers, wine drinkers in our world are so have got so much uh, knowledge and ability and sense that to think that you would put something over someone never carries. So when I'm tasting a different label, a vertical, let's say a, mm -hmm. a particular label from Molly Duker, mm -hmm. what am I going to see as the, you know, forget about the characteristics of a given year, but how much do you care about the continuity from one year to the next, or are you okay with that wine being decidedly different each year? In terms of our wines, because what we do is we rate everything in terms of fruit weight, which we would call our guarantee of quality. So to be in our left wines, which is the Scooter, the Maitre d', Two Left Feet and the Boxer, to be in those wines, they have, the wine has to have 70% fruit weight. So that is when you put the wines in your mouth, is that velvet glove, that silky sensation of fruit going back 70% on the palate before you start to see any structural components at all. With our family wines, which is the Giggle Pot and the Blue-Eyed Boy, they're 80% fruit weight. Carnival of Love is 90% Carnival of Love and Enchanted Path, 90% fruit weight and Velvet Glove has to be 95 plus percent fruit weight. So that velvet glove, that silky sensation going 95 percent of the way back on the palate. So for us, what you'll see is across all of the vintages, you'll actually see a high level continuity of character because it, it relates to the fruit weight of the wine. You'll see different flavor profiles depending on the vintage, on the temperature of the vintage. So that some, some years you'll have a slightly cooler year yeah, and, and some years you'll have a slightly warmer. Slightly warmer brings in more of the chocolate tones. Slightly cooler brings more in more of the spice tones. But in terms of when you put the wine in your mouth and 
and you do a vertical lineup in terms of fruit weight, they are identical year to year. Well, that is definitely not something that's easily accomplished. But then again, making some of the world's greatest wines consistently year after year is what Molly Duker is all about. So we'll continue this discussion with two of the most respected people in the Australian, well, really worldwide wine community, Luke and Sparky Marquis, when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. You are precious, you are fine, sweet as South Australian wine, you're beautiful, won't you be mine, I love you, Molly Duker. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. We like to talk about wine. This segment of Grape Encounters is presented by the incomparable wines of Cardella Winery, a favorite of everyone here at Grape Encounters. Purely delicious, purely amazing. Learn more at cardellawinery.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Let's drink wine tonight. Raise your glass up to the sky I got the antidote To make sure everything's alright Back with Grape Encounters Radio And I couldn't be happier to spend some quality time with two fellas Who, along with the mom of the family Who couldn't be here Are rocking the wine world down under And thank goodness Sending plenty of their world-renowned Molly Duker wines to the U.S. Imagine having your wines rated among the top ten worldwide Before we went to the break, we were talking with Sparky and Luke Marquis about blending and most significantly what it takes for a wine to make it into one of their bottles of Molly Duker. Sparky, in winemaking, it seems that it's more common than not to try to blend imperfections out of wine. So tell us what it takes for wines to make it into one of your signature blends. You know, what you said is blending stuff away is something we never do because when we look at the individual element of a blend, if that individual element doesn't pass our three questions. It doesn't get to the blend. So the three questions are, would I, would I drink a glass? If the answer is no, it goes to bulk wine. If the answer is yes, it goes to question number two. Question number two is, would I drink a bottle? If the answer is uh. no, it goes to bulk wine. If the answer is yes, it goes to question number three. Question number three, we add, by myself. Would I drink a would bottle drink by, by myself? Yeah. If the answer is no, we still sell that wine off as bulk wine. If the answer is yes, it becomes Molly Duca. It is tough to make the cut. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. We all get asked this question, or I, actually it's a statement I should say that people make often is that when they have a bottle of wine laying around and it's been sitting there for three days or a week or whatever, what's the first thing they do? They put it in their food. You know, they cook with it. <laughs> and I always tell people, don't do that, you know, because you're just pouring poison in your food. Mm-hmm. And do you really expect that that wine's going to go back to being a good wine just because you, you, you put it in a tomato sauce? Yeah. That doesn't work. So true. Oh, gosh. So nice to have you guys here. Sparky Marquis and Luke Marquis from Molly Duker. And you know what we need to do is I just need to drag my butt to Australia. You sure do. And, and do like a month-long series on you and Australian wines. We, we absolutely love it. When people come down to Australia, we have a lot of American friends come down and, and hang out with us, you know, at the winery and stuff like that. We love to show people. And, and uh, so all of the things that we do is we very detailed. Luke's been taking the tours. So it's quite interesting nowadays, like when friends come down, and Luke takes them around the winery. So 
So he takes them around, shows them what we do in the vineyards, our vineyard watering programs and stuff like that, and then takes them through our tanks and our barrel rooms and stuff like that. And when people realize he doesn't say that it's him, Luke, my son, you know, he's just this kid, you know, that comes and takes people around, talks to them, and then they realize that they've actually just spent an hour walking around the winery with the blue-eyed boy. It just boggles their mind. When do they have that epiphany, Luke? Uh, Normally when we try the blue-eyed boy. (laughs) I try and say... Hey, look at that! Look at that photo. Does that look like <laughs> something familiar? You should, <laughs> but, you should wear the outfit in the photograph. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fit into it anymore. <laughs> well, well, they, can, they can make a bigger one for you. Okay. <laughs> Ultimately, Sparky, Luke, you guys are making wine for yourselves, right? Absolutely. I that's, mean, that's what it really has to be all about. Absolutely. That's that's how it started. Actually, right in the early days, I came out to the United States and I was in uh, Charlotte. And I walked into a wine store in Charlotte. In Australia, we're very parochial about our wines. We tend to have a lot of Australian wines and a couple of other wines. I walked into this wine store in Charlotte and it just boggled my mind. It was in my early days and I thought, how audacious of me to even think I could sell one bottle of wine in the United States. And when I went home, what I said to our family, I said to everybody, I said, we need to make all of the wine that we make exactly how we like drinking them because we may have to drink the whole lot. Right. Unless you've got just a, a very strange, weird palate. But you know, one of the things that I have and my wife as well have devoted ourselves to in having our own wine shop is that we will not have a single bottle of wine in that shop that we don't love because wine needs to be defensible. Yeah. You know, you need to be able to sell it with passion. That's right. Passion is the big one. And, you know, absolutely. And and, and even though I might know it's a great wine and it has a great reputation and other people, the Robert Parkers of the world may love this wine. If I don't love this wine, I don't want to sell the wine because you're not going to hear the passion come through in my voice. That's exactly right. And that, by the way, that passion does impact a person's experience with the wine. Not that it makes the wine better, but it puts them in the frame of mind that I think they can enjoy it more. Don't you think? I think that absolutely. It's it's absolutely critical if – for us, it's everything that we do about, you know, with Molly Duker is based on passion. It's about what we love. It's about lo- what we love sharing. We joke about it. I was talking with some friends about it last night and they're like, what other wines do you drink? You know, and I'm, I'm, my answer is very simple, but it's a very true one. And I say, we only drink two things. We drink Molly Duker. And Jack and Daniels. Jack- <laughs> <laughs> the old saying that it takes a lot of whiskey to make great wine, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this this friend of mine gave me a, a, a bottle of um, single, single barrel Jack Daniels last night. He's like, oh, we just got a single barrel of Jack Daniels. So here, here's a bottle. So I thought that was quite funny. Oh, how wonderful. All right, let's talk about fruit weight mm-hmm. because this is so key to what, what you're do. doing. Absolutely. I want to know, first of all, explain what it is and explain how you measure it. Okay. Okay, very simply, it's so for us. We say we say that there's wines made of two things. One is fruit, and the other is structure. And structure is made of three things: acid, alcohol, and tannin. So for us, fruit only comes from the vineyards. What we did is we created a very specific vineyard watering program, and that vineyard watering program that we created creates that wow factor in our wines. We translate that wow factor to, to call it fruit weight. So for us, the goal is to have a perfect balance of structure. Once we've harvested the grapes. So we spend heaps of time in the grapes in the vineyards, 90% of our time in the vineyards. And then once we harvest the grapes, the only thing that we as winemakers can work on is structure. So we're looking to get a perfect balance of structure between acid, alcohol, and tannin, but to lay the fruit over the top. So how we measure fruit weight is we say, when you put a molly in your mouth, hold it in your mouth, swallow it, 
just think, feel in your mouth. What you'll feel is this velvet glove, this silky sensation of fruit. So we measure it from the tip of your tongue. How far back does that velvet glove, that silky sensation go before you start to see the prickly sensation toward the back of the palate? You see the prickly sensation of structure. And we measure it in percentages. What we found is that when we talk about this, when and we, we, we'll talk when we talk about it, you know, every time we do a dinner with people, is that women tend to get the understanding of fruit weight within one wine. Men, two or three, maybe four wines, because we tend, we as men tend to overthink it. We're trying to work something up, you know. We're trying to work a passion up, but women tend to get it because they feel. And in Molly Duca, it's a lot more about feeling than it is about anything else. So if you hold the Molly Duca in your mouth, that velvet glove, that silky sensation of fruit in the lefties will go back 70%, in the family wines in 80%, and the love wines go 90%, and then in the velvet glove, 95 plus percent. So it's an absolute key to what we do. So how do you teach somebody to measure? Because it would seem that this is subjective. It, Absolutely, it's, you know, it's subjective. Yep. How, how, how do you teach somebody to be able to measure it in the same way that you do? It's it's so amazing because it happens almost instantaneously. As soon as people taste a Molly Duca and they put it in their mouth, they realize that they're not looking at a wine where it's about structure. They realize it's a wine that's about fruit. And that velvet glove, that silky sensation of fruit, the impression of that velvet glove, as soon as we start talking about it, people understand it straight away. We're talking to Sparky Marquis and son Luke, and they are Molly Duker. Well, they are two-thirds of Molly Duker. Actually, no, there's more family members, right? Yeah, Holly as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Holly as well. So yeah. there's four. Yep. And Sarah couldn't make the trip. No, she's away. She's at home at the moment, so. Yeah. So let's talk for a second about hang time because this is something that I found very interesting. I think if I've got this right, you leave the grapes on the vine what, for a handful of days longer than they normally would be harvested? How do you make that decision and why? Uh, so we, we leave the grapes on the vines for at least 10 days longer 10 than days. anybody else. So this year in the this 2016, year 10 days to sometimes like even eight weeks longer than some of the people, uh, you know, our neighbors around us. Um, now do they think that you're, you know, crazy? You're, you're crazy and a hundred percent suicide here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's, and it's tough sometimes with our growers because our growers have got friends and they're all like, what are you doing? You like, we're harvested four weeks ago. And so then we get growers calling us up all the time saying, are we going to harvest? Are we going to harvest? And we're like, no, just calm down. We know what we're doing. Well, when they see the awards that you guys win, yeah. and the accolades that the wines get, I, I imagine that shuts them up pretty we've, quickly. We've been pretty lucky because uh, some of our growers have been with us for over 13 years. So, you know, they've been with us for a long time and know, know what we do, know our systems and know how we operate. So it's been pretty phenomenal. Hey, we're going to be back in just a second with our friends from Molly Duker. So don't go anyplace unless it's to your wine cabinet to grab a bottle of Molly Duker because that's the only thing that could make this experience better. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Hi, this is Michael Mandavi. You're listening to David Wilson on Grape Encounters Radio. This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by SOMCON 2016. 
the ultimate educational and informational event for wine professionals and serious enthusiasts. Taking place November 16th through the 19th in San Diego, California. Get more information at SomConUSA.com. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. Today on Grape Encounters Radio, so pleased to be able to give you a little insight into the extraordinary wines of Molly Duker. In the grand scheme of things, they're technically a fairly new brand. But in their determination to make wines that suit their personal taste, their wines have garnered near-perfect scores and have repeatedly been ranked among the world's top 10 best wines. Now, hopefully this edition of Grape Encounters is giving you some important insight into how Sarah and Sparky Marquis of Molly Duker have been able to captivate the wine world. And I'm sure they're grateful to have a son like Luke to help build and continue their award-winning legacy. Luke, talk about some of the accolades that you've gotten because you must have a huge medal room for everything that you have won at Molly Duker. We've been lucky, you know. Well, I don't um, think it's luck. Blessed. Yes, we've been blessed. You know, um, <laughs> you know, Robert Parker has loved Sarah and Sparky. You know, my parents won ever since they started making wine, you know, back in 1994 with Fox Creek. With Molly Duker, when we first started in uh, for our 2005 vintage, we got awarded 99 points out of 100 for our That's Carnival crazy. of Love yeah. in 2007. We got awarded the 8th best wine in the world in 2008. We got the ninth best wine in the world. And oh then in gosh. 2014, for our 2012 yeah. Carnival of Love, we got awarded the second best wine in the world. So, you know, three times in the top 10 for the so, same so wine. So when is number one coming? The elusive number one? November. November. <laughs> <laughs> we got our fingers crossed. Good answer. Do you think you, think you have a shot? Oh, I don't know. You realize there's so many great wines in the world. I mean, we were very excited to be number two wine in the world last year and to have lived and journeyed that that whole year of celebrating you know how the fact that, that how did that feel oh it was amazing it, it was surreal <laughs> it was surreal but what was exciting is when i spoke at the wine spectator event in october last year so this event that we're here for and going over to new york early next week and when i spoke at that event we actually poured the 2012 carnival of love we saved enough carnival of love to pour it at the wine spectator event so we poured it for a thousand people a thousand people yep got to drink that wine yep Yep. And wow. you can imagine if it's the number two wine in the world, everybody wanted it. And we're like, no, sorry, we've hoarded this. We're keeping this. We're taking it to the Wine Spectator event. And uh, when we finished pouring for everybody over the over the course of the couple of days, we had five bottles left. That was it. And so on the panel that I was on, there was the five top wines in the world, three Portuguese wines and two Australian wines. And when I did my speech, as I finished my speech, I gave a bottle to the moderator and I gave a bottle to number one wine in the world, a bottle to number three and the bottle number four and a bottle number five. And that was the last of the bottles you, you that did, we had. You did not say one for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, we just got a second left, but I want to talk about the Molly Duker shake. I thought that was something that you put in the blender with fruit but, uh, <laughs> and yogurt or something, but yeah. this is such a fascinating idea, yeah. and there's a group of people that are promoting the idea of actually taking wine and putting it in the blender. I forget the term for that now, but you know, being a little rougher with the wine yep. to aerate it, which I think that is ridiculously extreme, but explain what you do and how you recommend that your wines be aerated because it's just completely 
totally different than anything I've ever heard. Yeah, well, the Moliduka Shake is actually one of the key foundations. If we said there was three key foundations to what we do, it's fruit weight, the Moliduka Shake, and our vineyard watering program are three keys to what we do. Why we do the Moliduka Shake is that what we use with our wines when we make our wines, uh, my sister became sulfur sensitized. So I was looking for a way in the change of our wine style so that I could drink wine with my sister. I didn't realize that so many other people in the world were affected by sulfites. Okay. So what we did is we actually looked for a way that we could reduce the sulfite level of our wine. So we make our wines with the lowest level of sulfites possible. But to protect the wine, we used nitrogen. Now, we went through a whole heap of research to work out what was going to be the best product to protect the wine. But what happens with nitrogen is that when you have it in the wine, if you think about flavor being a big round ball, the nitrogen flattens the back end of the round ball. So what you do is, with Molly Duca, is just pour out a little bit of wine out of the bottle until the wine is about halfway down the shoulder. Put the cap back on, turn the bottle upside down. I tell them, make sure you do it in that order. Cap back on, turn it upside down. Yeah, that makes right, sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then give the wine a good shake, right? And then put it back up the other way, take the cap off, release the nitrogen, and then put the cap back on, give it another shake, and then pour. You'll see a foam layer on our wines. That foam layer is nitrogen, the nitrogen that gets released. Wow. As soon as that foam layer settles down to a creamy cafe latte type character, yeah, exactly. the Molly Duke is ready to drink. So what happens wow. is people that have sulfite problems, when they drink Molly Duca. You know, a lot of times people say, I mean, obviously, if you drink a couple of bottles of any wine, whether it's Molly Duca or not, you're going to be slower the next morning. But a lot of people find that the challenge that they have is not so much alcohol related as sulfite related. Sulfite related, yeah. And so with our wines, because they have very low sulfite levels, we find people get to enjoy them more. They have no negative reactions to them. But the key to making them, getting that final one or 2% out of them, is to do the Molly Duca shake just before you serve them. How amazing. Of course, everybody's asking themselves, right now, would it work on other wines? It, it works to some degree, and it's really quite interesting. In our hometown, in McLaren Vale in South Australia, we've got a bottling line that the community uses, different wines. Right. Now, we've had that bottling line, and we've changed all their processes because the last three steps of the Molly Duca shake, of the preparation, it's a 10-step process. The last three steps actually happen at the bottling line in terms of protecting the wine with stuff. So we've we've had this community bottling line changed so that it actually runs Molly Duca specs. So everybody that's in our region now gets wow. to have that bottling in, in the last it always still boggles our mind because we say why don't they just come and ask us because we tell them the other seven steps we'd share it with them yeah. right but they get the benefit of the last three so yes to some extent it would help them with doing the Molly Duca shake we always say it's the best way of doing it anyway it's so much fun when you see like we've had everybody from from the classiest restaurants to you know sitting at an outdoor bar doing Molly Duca shakes well, it's about that is as the counterintuitive as it could possibly be absolutely but you know there are so many people you know owning a wine bar there are so many people that are just frustrated because they can't drink wine, especially red, because of the sulfites. Sulfites, yeah. So come into the wine bar, buy the Molly Dukers. Absolutely, we'll teach you the Molly Duker shake. Absolutely, and a problem solved. You guys, what a pleasure to have you here. I'm so glad that you came to the States. And, you know, I just congratulate you on the amazing job that you continue to do. Thank you. You are what every, I think, winemaker aspires to be, not just in the quality of the wines, but the personality that you've given to your business. You know, I just love the complete absence of pretentiousness. Sparky Marquis and Luke Marquis, you guys enjoy your journey here in the States. And for those who would like to enjoy a really fascinating online treat, which I guarantee will be delightful, Log on to mollydukerwines.com. Now, trust me, this website is a real kick in the pants. 
just as this very special visit with Sparky and Luke Marquis's Benz. Yeah, thank you very much. That's All right, awesome. guys. You know what? I think it's going to cost me because I now can't resist the temptation of taking Grape Encounters on the road to McLaren Vale. Anybody else want to go? Give it some thought and let me know if Grape Encounters should take a road trip when we return at this same time next week. Next week.